Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. That's... Yeah. They have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist. But having said that, I want to be like me. What are you doing down here, you Johnny man? <laughs> you think you know a guy, and then you find out he once stabbed his brother for stealing a slice of cheese. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Monday Second Captain's Football Podcast. Murph, I feel like I still know you. Hello, and uh, no skeletons in my closet. Well. We'll see about that. Ken Early, I'm seeing you in a different light, I must say, after reading the revelation you made during a conversation with music superstar and second captain's World Service member, James Vincent McMorrow, in the Irish Times of the weekend. So tell us about the format of this. It seems like the two of you are sat down, Uh asked some questions, some sort of lighthearted, profile-y type questions, Hmm. and then you riff off each other's answers. Is that format? Pretty much. Okay. What is the stupidest thing you've ever done for those who... I haven't read this article yet. You really, really should. This is one of the questions. What is the stupidest thing you've ever done? Ken, I don't usually tell people this, but I did once stab my brother for stealing a piece of cheese I had cut for myself. That was probably the stupidest thing. James Vincent McMorrow, with a knife? Ken, yeah. It was really deep. He had to go to hospital. I was like, it's okay, I'll go with him. And my mum was like, no, what are you going to tell them? I stabbed this guy? <laughs> James Vincent McMorrow, how old were you, Ken? 21 or 22. <laughs> James Vincent McMorrow. Yeah. James Vincent McMorrow. I thought you were going to say seven or eight. That was the real kicker for me. Mm. And b- just as I was reading it, as it was formatted on the on my phone as I was reading it, I actually had to scroll down <laughs> yeah. at the point. So for full comedic effect, I was like, well, this is a very yeah. funny story. But of course, Ken was just 10 or 11. It's no big deal. And as I scrolled down, the 22 or 21 appeared. Yeah, it's just really finishing off college at that point. This has caused uproar on social media, Murph, as you know. So much so that I felt compelled to reach out to the victim of this crime. Here is Stephen Early's victim impact statement. <laughs> Ken was meticulously cutting poor salu cheese. Is that how you pronounce it? Poor salu? Poor salu, yeah. yeah. For his precious sandwich. I was threatening to rob some from him. Is there anything more annoying? He was waving the knife around in a jokey, threatening manner. <laughs> more Sirio Farrell than Michael Myers, basically saying, don't you dare. Sirio Farrell is a master swordsman in Game of Thrones, by the way. Michael Myers is that psycho in mm-hmm. the Halloween movies. Anyway, I figured he wouldn't actually cut me, so obviously went ahead and robbed some of the cheese. He was momentarily outraged by my insolence. We've, we've seen these momentary lapses into yeah. complete... Meltdown Rarely with knife in hand though Normally it's with laptop in hand And as I tried to grab more He waved me off with the knife In a joking fencing motion So Ken was really going through The whole range of 
Swordsmanship. Unfortunately, he got a little too close for comfort and gave me a flesh wound on my elbow. It didn't really hurt because we were both so shocked that he'd actually managed to cut me. The best part about the whole thing was the first thing he said was, don't tell mom. (laughs) (laughs) We both laughed at that a lot. The whole thing was genuinely hilarious. Stabbed may be the wrong word, though. Slashed is more appropriate. Mind you... Well, yeah, no, he says, mind you, that actually sounds more violent. Nicked. Yes, nicked is the right word. Mm. And Murph, here's your kicker for this one. I went to the hospital and got six stitches. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. It was, it was quite decent wound. Yeah, wound. Bad, yeah. yeah. You did apologise to Stephen. You know, uh, or, or would you like to take this opportunity to apologise uh, to Stephen? But uh, Stephen has gone up in my estimation. What a magnanimous well, reaction I'd, to I'd, having To be honest, I didn't know that Stephen could go any higher in my yeah. estimation. On What a great what a, guy. guy. Stephen Early is. <laughs> Stephen Early. A hell of a guy. Ken, still <laughs> refusing to apologise fully, but... <laughs> Uh, that no, one's he knows. He, kn- he knows how I he feel about, about it. He uh, he com- he complimented me after I tripped you up in Cork that time. Well done, Agent Murphy. Oh, well done. you see that in a different light now, Murphy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm, I just do Stephen Early's bidding. That's uh, that's what I'm here <laughs> on earth to do. Look, it was just one of those things. Yeah, you know? <laughs> one of those wounds that you inflict with a knife on your brother. Actually, you know, it's like, you know, people, what? come on, people, come on. Well, Can like, not, cu- why can't we move past this? A couple of people tweeted me saying they too had plunged. Steel, Hot into, the, steel. into the flesh of their uh, <laughs> of their siblings. Younger? Uh, were they younger when they? I did? don't know. I don't, maybe didn't maybe. ask the question. No age. There's no age way that the number. There's no way that you asking that question could make you feel any better about yourself. It's something that happens quite a lot in the the rough and tumble of horseplay, mm. locker room talk, and all that sort of thing. And uh, sometimes people do get hurt, uh, but you know, most of the time all... they don't even get arteries. You know. <laughs> Got a yeah. tweet here from Christopher Daubor Musnicki. And I do apologize, Christopher, straight off the bat there. <laughs> I was going to have a second bat at it. Uh, it no, this is this is a double barrel name. That's why there was a pause in the middle of it. It wasn't well, just to try to get it. We were me. absolutely none the wiser after your pronunciation. So thank you for... Got a tweet here from a fellow named Christopher. Yeah. How are you, Chris? What's the crack, Christy? Chris? Might How have to you? sign up to At Second Captains just to see Ken Early's response to this. This being Kate Hoey's assertion on BBC Radio 4 that the Republic of Ireland will have to pay for the border. Mexico's going to pay for that wall. <laughs> Lots of our listeners are based in the UK, of course, and might want to know, why are the British political classes driving a wedge between us, Ken? But as Christopher says, that's really more of a world service conversation. If Chris signs up, will you talk Brexit and so on during the week? Uh, well, we'll try. The problem is, who do, you, who do you talk to? You can't talk to... Can you talk to a Brexiteer? Not just yourself. You can talk to yourself. Well, you can talk to a Brexiteer, probably, yeah. I mean, they I oh. just, I don't know, this, they, they talk such nonsense all the time. But then if you're talking to a kind of, a, you know, non-Brexiteer, you end up sitting there going, oh no, yeah, I know. Mm, Echo chamber mm. and so on. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, there's that guy, uh, Gerard Batten, the UKIP MEP, who's been, who's been making waves. What about, what about Lord... Uh, Kilclooney. Kilclooney. You because know, that's actually the name of where I'm from in yeah. Milltown, Kilclooney. Kilclooney. So, I mean, I have, I, the guy... To, like he's he's starting off with a couple of major plus points, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, sure, he's made a couple of minor social media full power over the last couple of weeks. Yeah. That's fine, you know. Yeah. Maybe social media isn't his platform. Um, it's just let's it's get just, him on, you know. Let's have a chat with Lord Kilcooney. Your your See man. What he's got to say for himself. Jared Batten is is kind of like uh, you know we should take back the the treaty ports. You know, that's, that's his kind of attitude. Uh, he's got something on his Twitter. He's just a UKIP MEP. You know, you might have seen one of his idiotic tweets retweeted uh, recently by people going, look at this idiot. 
you know. And uh, a, a fine example of Brexit brain here. Uh, and he's got something about... Uh, uh, it, it's a quote from, like, Richard II on, on his... Mrs. May intends to, betr- intends to betray Brexit. Um, uh, and he's got, like, a link to his little manifesto, which, which has the inscription, With inky blots and rotten parchment bonds, that England that was wont to conquer others hath made a shameful conquest of itself. Which is uh, from John of Gaunt's speech about how amazing England is in uh, Richard II. Um, basically, signing up to all these stupid international treaties has turned the English into slaves <laughs> in, in, his, in his brain. Um, and the John of Gaunt speech actually has loads of stuff about the, the, the shining sea that surrounds the sceptered isle that uh, you know, protects it, uh, walls off England from the world and protects it from the covetous, um, grubby mm. hands of foreigners. Um, but obviously it's, it's a little bit more complicated in Northern Ireland where mm. there is an actual, you know, border there. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I don't know. We'll, well, we'll see. If we, can, if we can find somebody who would be interesting to speak about this. And, Suggestions yeah. are welcome. I give Senator. you a pain in your arse listening to him. Tweet them. Yeah, to, I mean, you know, there's, there's no point speaking to somebody like that. I mean, you could get you could get them on and and sort of have them say all their idiotic stuff and possibly have a row, but it would just be a waste of everyone's time. It'd be a waste of their time. It'd be a waste of my time. It would be a waste of everyone's time who was listening to it. It would just be a waste of time. Last week on the World Service, we invited our members to challenge their views of one of the all-time sporting heroes, one of our sporting heroes, Muhammad Ali. There were a couple of allegations of physical violence. There was also an accusation of um, an affair with a girl who was a minor. You know, very serious allegations. And, and it was difficult for me to accept that this guy who was my childhood hero behaved that way. A lot of these allegations were raised at the time when Ali yeah. was at the peak of his fame. And they seemed to have no impact on his popularity. He, he was somehow able to float above all of this. You know, it, it certainly changed my feelings about him. Mm-hmm. And, um, and my feelings about him are much more complicated. There are things about him that I love more than I than I loved before and there are certainly things that I dislike intensely That's Jonathan Icke the writer and author who spent five years working on a new book on Muhammad Ali there perhaps turning your Ali world upside down for the full story become a world service member at secondcaptains.com it's five euro a month plus fat why would you continue to miss our Champions League football show people? I do wonder though if he's ever going to get stuck into Jordan Henderson who is just so stone mediocre know the hendo bot to listen to all of our shows including finding out a little bit more about the hendo bot and to hear all of next week's live extravaganza at the liberty hall that's with us murph and superstar guests and to hear ken's thoughts on the irish border perhaps a little bit more on that become a member of the world <laughs> service and support what murph say it after me independent An independent member-led, member-led commercial, commercial free, free journalism, journalism. Yeah. yep that's the one Report on sport, please, Ken. Well, on, um, I suppose here I am. Here I am sitting here um, slagging off the likes of Jared Batten, uh, MEP, uh, and Lord Kilclooney for you know their soft-brained sort of outlook on on the world. Uh, and yet, am I not guilty, Owen, of hypocrisy? Yes. It is. Is it not the case, Owen? that Jared Batten and Lord Kilclooney aren't the only ones who are talking a load of nonsense out there. 
might, oh, and there'd be someone in this studio, someone who might even be speaking at this very moment, <laughs> who is also guilty of similar nonsense. I, I haven't said a word. Oh, oh, no, wait, yeah. you. Yeah, no, it's you. I Sorry, it's you. Of course, obviously you meant you, Ken. Lionel Messi will remain at Barcelona. Uh, he has decided, uh, despite our, our long conversation on Thursday, uh, outlining all the reasons why he might be about to call it a day, mm-hmm. that in fact he's not going to call it a day, um, call it a day for Barcelona was the suggestion we were making. Um, Not he, calling it a day, full stop. Possibly moving to Man City. Anyway, if you are joining up the World Service this week, just there's about 10 minutes there of last Thursday's football podcast. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about those 10 minutes. There's plenty of other stuff to catch up with. <laughs> well, you know, a few people, I mean, Messi's obviously said, uh, I will go down with this ship. I won't put my hands up and surrender. There will be no white flag above his door. <laughs> Because he's in love with FC Barcelona. I couldn't get the song there. And always will be. So that's great. I mean, I'm happy. But, but, you know, a lot of people, so some people, you got a lot of haters. You got a lot of people on on social media, a lot of pedants, a lot of haters. Dido. Dido, that's the one. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) This took me a little while. Sorry. Um, Well done. <laughs> well done. You've said a name of a song there. Well done, Jim. How, how long had passed? <laughs> there? I mean, was I actually just thinking there for like fifteen minutes and then um, yeah, just but, cracked back in? But you know, so there's a, there's a lot of losers. A lot losers, maybe the wrong word, but hey, definitely haters and pedants. Um, some of them may be bots. I'm not sure. Probably a lot of people using this using this uh, technology whereby you can search back through reams of people's past tweets, you know, and and see what they've ever said about X or Y. Using this to, in their opinion, nail me for fake news basically about Lionel Messi whereas in fact all we were doing was speculating wildly and arguably mindlessly certainly incorrectly <laughs> incorrectly is, is is true but I mean the speculation can be incorrect it's the nature of of speculation I mean I suppose we were we, we were doing this on Thursday so people people evidently got the wrong end of the stick you know said oh you know you're saying Messi's gonna leave well did I though Yes. Wait, no, all he did was he just presented the argument for and against Lionel Messi staying at Barcelona. There may have been some of the other stuff. There but was one in the for was... column and, uh, sorry, there was one in the against leaving column and yeah. there were yeah. about five or six points in well, the for yeah, leaving just, column. Yeah. Well, you know, Owen, one, one big, big reason outweighed all the little reasons. That and the solid gold house that uh, Barcelona are <laughs> probably giving uh, Lionel Messi. I mean, the chance to be the, the not to preserve intact his his uh, legacy of heroism at Barcelona was never going to be you know easy thing to walk away from maybe they've convinced him that they are going to bring in some players so that the team around him will be less of a dumpster fire than it appears to be at the moment maybe he has seen something in Luis Suarez's game that convinces him that Suarez is going to have his fires rekindled sometime mm. soon although people have started to say well where what about the fire in Lionel Messi you know, he's on his sixth, the sixth longest gold right of his career. Yeah, his longest four games, is it? Sorry, how many games? Uh, it's like, um, how many minutes? Uh, he hasn't scored since the twenty eighth of October. Yeah, um, that's a month, I suppose. With uh, an international break, uh, five hundred five hundred thirty eight minutes. Um, so the last time he went this long without a goal was. Uh, October 2009 which is a long time ago although he did actually score a goal against Valencia which wasn't given did you see the incident in question yeah Um, a ball that bounced or a a shot from the edge of the area which the goalkeeper didn't properly save the ball bounced uh, behind the goalkeeper bounced over the line clearly and then the keeper oh 
Roy carolled it back into play. Uh, Barcelona ran off to celebrate. Valencia ran up the other end of the field and somehow failed to score. They, they really should have scored. Um, that was a goal, but it wasn't given. They don't have VAR in, or they don't have goal line technology in Spain. Um, so goal line technology is a very basic one now, isn't it? Well, it is. It's funny because it's only been it's only kind of been in a couple of seasons, and now it's like, how come you don't have goal line technology? It's, it's ridiculous. Like, how can you not have it? Um, so that should have been a goal. Uh, he did end, uh, end up setting up the goal for Jordi Alba with a really nice pass. Jordi Alba, who his quote after the game was, "Everyone makes mistakes." But I could see from back in around half that it was over the line. And I thought, really? Could he? I mean, Jordi Alba's angle on that wasn't so good. I mean, what is he, five foot seven? Five foot seven, standing 50 meters away. I mean, what kind of an angle does he have on that? You know what I mean? If you draw the right angle triangle here, it's not a, it's, he doesn't really have a lot of no. space to see that ball is, is three or four. I mean, it was substantially over the line. To be fair. The whole ball was substantially over the line and it did bounce, which should make it easier. And it wasn't like it cannoned off the crossbar and bounced really quickly, which sometimes makes it difficult. But Jordi Alba said he could see it. And I actually believe Jordi Alba. Um, I think, uh, you know, footballers like this do see things differently from a lot of us. Most people could probably see that one was over, to be fair. It was a, it was a particularly obvious one. But like, uh, even when you're that far away, in the sort of uh, high-quality visual cortex of a football player, um, things are just moving slightly slower. And that was really obviously over, uh, although not to the referee. So, yeah, uh, they're still way way out in front of the league, though, given that Real Madrid haven't been playing too well. Not bad for a dumpster fire, in, yeah. uh, to conclude. Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty good. Although, you know, I do wonder what the publication of the, uh, the new sporting intelligence report into the best-paid teams in world sport what effect that's going to have on Barcelona dressing room why where where Barcelona who's top warriors no they're only third they're the third best paid team in the world an average uh, average uh, first team weekly pay of 132,260 pounds sterling that's the the main currency 171,000 dollars if you put it in dollars they don't give it in euros you're going to tell me Real Madrid are up there Real Madrid are behind um, Barcelona. Real Madrid are ninth. Barcelona fourth um, uh, with 126 grand a week is your average first team pay at Barcelona, uh, which obviously, you know, Messi gets is getting considerably more than that. Yankees, the baseball teams used to be up there, but not so much. Dodgers, anymore. LA Dodgers. No, it's all it's all um, NBA teams. The New York Yankees have fallen from number two to number 31. Oof. I don't know, they must have gotten rid of some high earners. Man United have had a... Man United and Man City both have had big drops as well. United are 23rd and City 24th. So Man United still getting paid more than Man City, but it's pretty close. 5.2 million a year, 100 grand a week, basically, is your average first-team pay at both Man City and Manchester United, with the United players earning £101 a week more, on average, than the City players. Feels good, doesn't it, Manchester United players? <laughs> Uh, it's all NBA teams, uh, really, at the top, apart from the two big Spanish teams and Paris Saint-Germain, who are in third, or, or rather, who are in fifth, one place behind Barcelona, 125 grand a week. But should they not be a little bit higher? I mean, this is, you know, this is the official figures, you know? This is when Neymar is, like, on 32 million a year, officially. I mean, but there's all kinds of ambassadorial things. There's, there's other ways, there's other things... 
not related to, of course, not related to his his, his play for Paris Saint Germain, but you know, possibly related to his move. Um, but you still haven't managed to give me the, the name of the best paid team in world oh, sport. Well, that's going to be Cavaliers, I guess. They're number two. Uh, Houston the Rockets. Num- the number, yeah. Houston, Houston Rockets are number fourteen. What other basketball team is it? I mean, they're all they're they're pretty much all basketball teams. Actually, they are all basketball teams in the top twenty, except for uh, Real Madrid, Barcelona, and uh, Paris Saint Germain. Because the, obviously the is, NBA has got a ridiculous TV okay, deal. Okay, there's got to be somebody nouveau riche along the, the, the Warriors lines. The Oklahoma City Thunder, Simon says. Okay, see. Okay, uh, OKC is the correct answer. Well done, Simon. Beautiful. Now, I, now, how, how is this team so high? I don't. I've never heard of these guys. Well, they have been one of the top teams for the last few years. Do they have who plays for them? Oh, so many great basketball players, Ken. I mean, too many, nearly to mention. I mean, this is a football show podcast. You know, no, no one tunes in here to hear me name out the ten or eleven players on the OKC Thunder yeah. roster that I could name out. I mean, yeah, okay. you know, let's let's just stick to football. I see. You know. Fair enough. Okay, let's let's do. You got that. Russell Westbrook for a start. Um, <laughs> Please say you've got Russell Westbrook, or else I'm going to feel like an absolute idiot. Russell Westbrook. Mark's going to double check it for me. Oh. My entire reputation that I don't actually have hinges on this being correct. The annual pay, or, or the rather, the average pay in the Premier League is now more than fifty thousand pounds a week, and that's average pay for all uh, Premier League. Westbrook uh, first team first team yeah first. they dumped Kevin Durant out of there well he left to go to the Warriors but I, d- I think it's I, I think it's sort of interesting nice that Carmelo that, Anthony as well I think it's sort of interesting to see the, the way that uh, football Paul teams George. actually they do have a f- good few players that we've heard of I think it's sort of interesting the way the football teams are dropping down the, English, the Premier League teams are dropping down this list um, even though even as their uh, their income is increasing dramatically with uh, new TV deals it shows that the um, clubs have started to pocket increasing amounts of money. And the clubs are all getting rich at the moment. Arguably, the players are getting ripped off mm. with their 50 grand a week <laughs> average average pay. Um, it's, uh, it's not keeping up with the revenue growth. Obviously, the revenue growth, <laughs> who knows how long, how much longer that will keep, that runaway train will keep tearing away down the tracks. Uh, but uh, it's certainly outpacing the growth in, uh, in player salaries. Yeah, well, the, the, the point about the NBA teams is there aren't that many players, so they're getting more of, there are less of them to eat up the pie. Uh, well, yeah, that, they've, I think they may have changed their metric on this because it's, they're talking about average first team pay. So, so if you look at total payroll, it doesn't really tell you a whole okay. lot because um, obviously there are 11 players in a, in a soccer game and only five you know, on the court in a basketball game. So what they're talking about here is, is players in the actual team or, you know, rather than sort of total payroll. So uh, that, that that may have something to do with why these NBA teams are all suddenly um, ranked so highly or shot up the list. Um, but they are, if if you want to get paid a lot of money, play basketball appears to be the uh, situation at the moment. What has it got? Um, so I guess the probably the best game so far in... Um, in the European leagues this season, uh, certainly in terms of uh, thrills and spills, uh, was between team number 74 on the list, Borussia Dortmund, and team number 161, Schalke. Uh, the Schalke players uh, earning 31,000 a week only. But that didn't stop them putting on a hell of a show. The first time I heard about this game was Matt Hummels. I saw a tweet from Matt Hummels saying, Oi! And a smiley face, a, a beatifically smiling, happy face. I thought, 
wonder what's got Matt Hummels so happy. Um, looking at the scores, I saw that Brucey Dortmund, his beloved Brucey Dortmund, of course, although he's now Bayern Munich man, uh, were four 0 up after half an hour against Schalke. Um, it was only much much later that day, Owen, that I checked to see what fi- what score they had managed to rack up, mm. and saw that it had ended four four. This is <laughs> really amazing. Uh, Peter Bosch is the is the current Dortmund manager. How much longer for? It's hard to say. This is obviously the guy who was the manager of Ajax when they played Manchester United. Well, they they played a lot of other games last season as well, but got to the Europa League final where they lost to uh, to Man United. Uh, went to Dortmund, but unfortunately for him, it hasn't gone too well. Uh, Domenico Tedesco is the name of the Schalke manager, thirty-two uh, year old, wearing a daring beige. A skin-tight pullover. I don't know if it's pullover, <laughs> no. pol- pullover polo neck. Apparently got the team together and got down on his knees. He said, we have to learn. We must learn from the game, said Schalke's goalkeeper. A first, like, a first half like that can happen. But the second half is a new game. <laughs> so they, so apparently their tactic was to go out and play the second half as though it was nil-nil. Uh I mean, as though it was 4-0 down would have seemed almost more rational, given that it was, and they really needed to score four goals. They eventually got the equalizing goal in injury time, uh, a really thumping header from Naldo, the central defender. Um, had a goal disallowed as well, Naldo. So they scored five times in the, uh, well, four, le- four times legally in the second half. I can't find the beige jumper in question, Ken, but the daring jumper does seem to be... Uh Type fitting jumper does seem to be a feature of Tedesco's. If you've got it, formed it on. Yeah, thirty-two years old. Yeah, no. Managing Bundesliga is pretty. Uh, yeah, good shape. It's pretty cool. Um, a comparative granddad of the German game, Opa, Opa Klopp. Um, uh, at, it, there was, if you watch the Liverpool Chelsea game on on Saturday, it's quite a mediocre game. It's kind of a scuffling kick kickabout, you know, like the a lot of guys running around. Only Eden Hazard really looking like he knows what he's about when he gets on the ball. Um, but uh, it, it finishes uh, one all. The, the strange thing about it was the way that, that, that looking at it, the, the Liverpool bench probably would have beaten the team, even though there's only seven of them. <laughs> you know, it was like this uh, very dramatic rotation. I take it, I take it was rotation. Maybe, maybe Sadio Mane was left out because he's had these hamstring problems but it did seem like an extreme amount of rotation to do for what is going to be one of your biggest Premier League matches of the season if it was going to be the case that players like Firmino uh, you know Van Alden and whatnot could not play you know this many games in a short space of time maybe this was the game that they should have been playing in Um, but uh, yeah I I mean I don't know what you made of it obviously Mohamed Salah um, Got the goal. He's scoring a lot of goals. Yeah, I read your piece today. Scoring a lot of goals for a winger for a wide player. But he's not a wide player. He is a striker, and this is his. his, What he's doing is he's scoring a lot of goals for any type of player. But he's not a wide player, so it's not a lot of goals for for a wide player. If you see what I mean. I do, but you might want to explain a bit further. So the traditional winger was generally stuck out on the wing. It was literally on the wing. Very difficult for them to get Stanley Matthews huge on. amounts of goals necessarily because Stanley Matthews they just weren't in, in the positions to do so. Whereas nowadays, wingers operate essentially almost like inside forwards mm, They are from back in the day. Yeah. Where they hoover up all that space that's vacated by strikers who are now way more mobile and they give those supposed wide players a chance to arrive on the end of passes and crosses. Yeah, 
arrive. If you if you look at um, <clears throat> if you listen to Pep Guardiola talking, this is all he ever talks about arriving in the box. Like he doesn't want anyone in the box unless they're arriving in the box. That's the one time you're allowed to be there is arriving. And if and if you arrive and the ball doesn't, then get out of there and arrive again. So there's a lot of arriving going on. There's a lot of shuttling, uh, running back and forth, which would have been beyond the sort of uh, woodbine puffing center forwards of you know the good old days mm. um that that sort of thing just didn't you know the, if you're talking about like a striker who's <clears throat> who's loitering sort of 40 yards from goal out on one of the wings it's like what are you doing you're you're in the wrong place get in the box but um there's a lot of players now Salah being a, a very good example uh who are able to just go from very far away from the goal to really close in on goal and do that so many times in a game. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, to, Salah can do this all day. And it's essentially a completely new type of player. The idea that he's a winger is, well, I mean, he's, he's not. Like he, a winger is a player who, who uh, works the outside and tries to create chances for teammates from there. Well, are, is anybody a winger? Are there are the wingers that exist? Um, Andros Townsend mm-hmm. is a winger. Mark Albrighton? Uh, Mark Albrighton, I would say, is more of a wide midfielder in the Alan Ball mold. Hmm. Wingless wonders. Yeah. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, <laughs> but and- Andres Townsend is, is a winger. Like, uh, what, what are you looking for? Dribbling, uh, crossing, never shoots from inside the box because he, he's never in there. Uh, but he's a, he's a dying breed. You know, all of these players, um, players like Salah, uh, Alexis Sanchez, uh, Leroy Sané. Well, maybe the, in, in City it's a little bit different because Sterling and Sané are told to stick to the touchline for for that. It depends. Guardiola is the only the only manager who has his fullbacks regularly go inside. You know, nobody else does that. I mean, everybody else is like, oh, okay, the fullbacks do the whole side now. They they and they are they are the wingers. So if you look at say the crossing statistics in the Premier League, it's there are two types of players who now cross. One of them is your specialist uh, dead ball striker. So Kevin De Bruyne, uh, Mesut Ozil, uh, Robbie Brady, to an extent, although Robbie Brady does also play in a, uh, a wide position. Um, you know, who else? Th- those types, uh, Johan Kabaye, you know what I mean? Like they, they all, most of them play in, in the middle, but they're, they're the players with the most crosses because anytime there's a set piece or, you know, anything like that, they're the ones who, who, or, or the team works it into a position where they can cross, you know, diagonally, um, and then you've got fullbacks, guys like uh, Aaron Cresswell. <sighs> oh, who else? You know, there's, there's a bunch of yeah. there's, there's fullbacks who do, it, but there are no wingers apart from Andrew Townsend. You find him in there around number sixteen, <laughs> but uh, like Salah never crosses. You know what I mean? A, a winger who doesn't cross is not a winger, in my opinion. It's this is a different type of thing. Um, anyway, yeah. bloody good goal scorer. Though. That's the main thing. Yeah, well, I mean, he's you know, he's scoring at a at a phenomenal rate. I just think that it's 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 like uh, he he's like a, an informed striker. You know what I mean? It's not it's not a case of wow, he's scoring a lot for uh, he is the, he's the type of player who has the most chances to score. I mean, you look at the goals he scores; a lot of them are easy goals. You know what I mean? It's, which is it's about getting into the right position and having the pace that he has to. Being a, he gets into these positions that for other players it wouldn't be quite as dominant. It, it looks like there could be 50 50, but actually, as long as the ball is right, he's gone because he's, mm. he's so sharp. Yeah. And so quick. Uh, yeah. And, and getting, getting there, like he follows shots in, he, he arrives at the far posts, 
you know, he's always going to be there. Like a lot of his goals are like this. A lot, a lot of them have been tap-ins. You know, but that's, it's not easy to score a lot of tap-ins. If it was easy to score a lot of tap-ins, everybody would do it. It's like, you're, it's like uh, Aubameyang is another player who does this really well. Um, Aubameyang, a player who, according to uh, Honigstein's book about Klopp, Klopp is like, this guy's never a number nine. <laughs> no way. He's actually, you know, the, I mean, he was the top scorer in Germany last season, outscoring Lewandowski. He's he's a pretty good number nine, but in a different mold from what, certainly a different mold from Lewandowski. He's not as powerful, but he does have this phenomenal speed. So every time there's a, there's a break, Aubameyang is going to be the first guy at the far post. Everybody knows this. It's just a question of whether they can get the ball there. And, uh, you know, a lot of the times they do, and he scores... And I kind of see Salah. Salah's doing a similar type of thing. He just starts in a different position. It's just about making space uh, or get, getting space, he's arriving a, unmarked. He's a goal poacher mm. starting from a wide position. A fox outside of the box. Indeed, yes. Yeah. That's the end of Ken's report on sport for today. situation at Everton now. Martin O'Neill is being linked to the manager's job there, which we will get to, but just where the club is at at the moment is kind of bizarre. The caretaker role obviously isn't working out for David Unsworth. Two hammerings in three days, the latest which was 4-1 against Southampton at the weekend. We're joined by Simon Hughes to talk about this. Simon, Everton have been bad all season, but they seem to have fallen off a cliff completely in the last few days. Why is this happening? Well, I think it's actually got worse under David Unsworth. Um, I mean, I saw pretty much every home game under Ronald Koeman this season. Um, and though Everton have been you know, poor in a lot of games, at least they've been reasonably competitive. Um, certainly against Atalanta, you know, I mean, the, 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 it, was, it was embarrassing. An embarrassing result. I know, obviously, they had... Um, quite a few kind of what would be considered second string players playing but to lose 5-1 at home against a club that I think has never won away in Europe you know that that that, that is worrying and then Southampton um, yesterday you know it was just a continuation of, of kind of what what happened on Thursday night really albeit with, with more um, experienced players um, I mean I, I do think that, that David Unsworth has got to take some responsibility for this actually because um, if you actually listen to some of the things that he's been saying, it, you know, he, he, it's quite confusing, really. I mean, when, when a, a caretaker manager comes into a job, you, you kind of expect them to um, unite the dressing room. It's the first thing that any caretaker manager will try to do. And, you know, you were speaking last week um, before and after the Atlanta game about how, you know, there's always like three sets of players in the squad. You know, there's... Um, you know, the experienced players that have been at the club for a long time, you've got the young players and then the, the, the foreign players that have you know signed over the summer in the last 18 months. And it just seems to me that, that you know he hasn't been able to kind of get any connection between any of the players um, in the time that he's been there. So, yeah, I mean, I think he, he's 
you know, he's probably, well, he almost certainly um, lost his opportunity to get that job full time. Um, you know, and I, th- I think it's just a, a reminder, really, that, that the jump up from under twenty three football ways be managing is, is just is just so vast now. You know, I think um, you know under twenty three level that the players are obviously determined to move on to the next level and will listen to what a coach says. Whereas when you manage at first team level, you know there's bigger personalities, different motiv- motivations. You know, you you judge by your results and your results only, really. And he hasn't been able to kind of galvanise any 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 confidence amongst the players, even despite an amazing victory over Watford a few weeks ago, and you know Watford are really flying as a team at the moment. So very concerning times for Everton. Um, I don't really you know see any end in sight with, with, with the managerial search at the moment. Um, it seems to be that the club is 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 struggling to figure out what its identity is. You, you know, you, you, Bill Kenwright, I think, wants kind of a return to almost like a, a David Moyes-style appointment, whereas, um, you know, Farhad Mashiri spoken publicly <laughs> um, through through um, Jim White and, and a few other media about, you know, how he, he sees the Northwest as the Hollywood of, of, um, of you know, of, of the management uh, management game, I suppose. So he's looking for a you know a, a much higher profile manager, but I just don't think those managers are available at the moment. And if they were available, would they want to be managing a club who you know is really struggling at the bottom end of the Premier League? So there seems to be a bit of a, a gap between um, the thoughts about how, how to how to move the situation forward at the moment. You know, it's it's, it's thirty five days today since um, Ronald Koeman was sacked. It's it's um, it's a shambles. Yeah, and and it's it's really it's a worrying situation because if you look at say the next thirty five days, Everton have to play I think nine Premier League matches in that time. But by by like January, uh, between now and the first of January, they have nine matches in the league. It's like the most intense period of the season. This is the worst moment of the season to not have a manager to not really know what you're doing. Um, uh, you know, if they, if they were to take as long again as they've already taken to replace Cumin. They could be, you know, nailed to the bottom of the league by the by um, by the new year. Uh, I mean, you had written a couple of days back um, comparing them to comparing what's happened at Everton to what happened at Liverpool when they replaced Brendan Rodgers. Um, and I wonder if you can maybe explain what what your comparison was there and what whether you think Farhad Mashiri or, or Bill Kenwright, whoever, whichever one is is really driving this process, needs to accept uh, most of the responsibility for what's happened here. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's it's a combination of both, really. I mean, I think Farhad Mashiri, I mean, at, at the moment he's, you know, so little is known about him. You, you can only kind of judge on the, on the snippets of information that you do see and, and read. And he, you know, he's very keen to, 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 you know, kind of only speak to one media platform at the moment. Um, which is Sky Sports News. Which, with which is Sky Sports News, and uh, you know, the, last week was just you know just sum the whole situation up. Whereby, you know, he's given out um, quotes to to one reporter who, who's saying that they're very close to making an appointment, and David Unsworth's only finding out this information through well, talk sport basically. Which that's no way to to run a football club. You know, it, it seems to me like he's on the back foot now. Um, by the way, he's delivered that that information. Um, and if you, it just strikes me as somebody who's 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 entered the football club, a bit like the way you know Fenway Sports Group did at Liverpool, and you know they've got an understanding of what they'd like to see and what they'd like to do. 
but you know, not necessarily the understanding or expertise about how to go about it or make the right decisions. You know, when Fenway first came into Liverpool, you know, appointed somebody from within the club who understood the club allegedly. Um, you know, and and then they spent you know a, a lot of money as well. Um, at the same time, I mean, the chronology is a little bit different, but the, the parallels are there. Only to arrive at a situation whereby you know actually they, they, you know they, they've made quite a few mistakes in that process, and it just again just you know strikes me as as as, as a similar thing that's happening at Everton at the moment, whereby you know you, I read an interesting article in um, in the Times last week by Matt Dickinson, and he you know he compared him to Tony Fernandez at QPR, and it, it does feel that way. Every every person I speak to about Farhad Mashiri, who's have you know first hand experience of him, say that he's, he's a thoroughly decent person, but he does seem a little bit of a a little bit of a dreamer, if you like, and maybe that's what's appealed to Bill Kenwright because you know he he likes you know people that are fundamentally decent people. You know, Bill Kenwright's a little bit of a dreamer as well. You know, in terms of the way he you know he's he you know he's an affair with Everton, is a love affair. You know, he's a romantic, and I'd imagine that that kind of side of his character will probably appeal to him when he was negotiating you know to sell Everton. Yeah. And for for Mishiri to invest, but that doesn't necessarily mean he understands how to make the right decisions and be decisive. And uh, Everton at the moment are just just sailing. And as you say, um, you know they're going into a period now where you know they're going to need to have this sorted out because um, soon enough, you know, you've got the the January transfer window coming up, and you know the the cold reality is that they do need you know extra pace in the team. That they do do need width. That they need uh, a centre forwards. There's a lot that any new manager will need to do um so he's not gonna have a great deal of time to assess um you know the 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 the, the merits of the, the Everton players that he has at the moment now i mean it, you know he's only gonna have a certain amount of time on the training ground with, with with um so many matches coming up around the christmas period so it's it's been handled appallingly you know it, it really has to, to, to sack a football manager uh, and ronald Koeman when you know that, that pressure had been mounting for a number of weeks and not to really you know have an inkling that the person that they wanted to appoint was probably going to be unobtainable and then you know basically alienate any other manager who might might consider taking the job i just think it's just absolutely shambolic really um, yeah, i mean they, they, uh, they you mentioned you mentioned marco silva he was he was their yeah. first choice they couldn't get him but other uh, people who've who supposedly turned this job down or the or whoever have at least tried to interest in the job are louis van hal um, you know, who, who thinks he thinks he might come back, but only if it was for you know a big club or something along these lines. He said, Ralph Rangnick, uh, who was uh, at Leipzig, but he's going to stay at Leipzig. These are these are players who Everton supposedly had put the feelers out to. They're all very different managers, though. I mean, you know, Van Hal and Rangnick are, are from very different schools of football. Silva different again, and now the the favourite for the job is Martin O'Neill, who's completely different from all the others. Um, not not a dreamer in the way that we describe the owners there. No, not 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 really. I mean, but I mean, Martin, you know, Martin O'Neill, who, who's just had a five-one defeat with Denmark. I mean, I wonder how seriously you take these uh, links with Martin. Martin O'Neill, also a big enemy of Everton over the last couple of years. He's always taking pot shots at their medical department and and so on. How seriously do you, do you take these links and and what you know how how welcome an appointment do you feel Martin O'Neill would be? among Everton supporters right now? Well, I mean, uh, looking at the reaction on, I suppose, on social media, as everybody does, you know, speaking to to friends who are Evertonians and, and the way they reacted to the news that O'Neill was the favourite to take the job, you know, it certainly wasn't positive. I think um, Martin O'Neill certainly may have been a good Everton manager, but possibly 20 years ago. Um, you know, I, I think... 
it would seem a strange appointment. You know, he hasn't managed in the Premier League for for five, I think, five years. Did he leave Sunderland? Is that right? About um, that, yeah. You know, which was a, which was you know, obviously the Sunderland job is. You know, he's defeated quite a few managers over the last few years, but you know he hasn't really managed with great success in the Premier League since his days at Aston Villa, which was a long time ago now. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I think that, I mean, I, I still wouldn't be surprised if Sam Allardyce ended up being Everton's manager. I, I just think that I know he's kind of ruled himself out, but I think that he's the sort of character. Um, I, I, say, he, I mean, Simon, just be, so sorry to, to put in. I mean, he, I, 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 I can sort of imagine that, that Allardyce would be a good manager, but hasn't he, number one, said he's retiring from football management? And number two, even if he wasn't retiring, he was his nose is a bit out of joint that he wasn't the first person Everton called. So he so he thought, nah, I'm not, yeah. not sure if I'm into that. Is that, is that why he's, he's supposedly ruled himself out? Well, I think so, yeah. I mean, I, I, there's always two sides to this story with this. And I think that, you know... Um, Allardyce was probably getting his excuses in before anybody else had the opportunity to when it when he when he when he spoke um a couple of weeks ago about you know that he wasn't interested anymore. I just think that you know it's fair to say you know that Sam Allardyce you know is I don't want to use the word shameless but he he, he <laughs> I I just think it would appeal that job would appeal to him if it became you know available to him. I, I just don't see how he would be able to turn it down. Um and I think now you know, Everton are where they are. You know that that the owner might want you know a high-profile manager, somebody who's going to excite the fans. But at the end of the day, you know that Everton are where they are. That the the heading towards relegation at the moment, and it's not the appointment that I think you know would be the right appointment. But would it keep them up? It give them a much better chance of staying up. Um, I think. And I just think that, you know, in this four worlds at the moment, it wouldn't be the most surprising thing. There's a dramatic turnaround there. That, that, I'm not saying that with any, any inside knowledge at this moment, but, you know, um, I wouldn't be surprised if the, there was a revision of the of, of, of thought uh, from the club's point of view and from Allardyce's point of view. Um, I just think that Everton, uh, you know, despite their problems, they are they would be probably, well, they would be the biggest club that he'd, he'd managed, biggest club side that he'd managed if that opportunity presented itself. And I don't think he'd be able to resist it. Um, particularly, you know, with the, the situation getting worse, I think it, there's not more. You know, aside from you know, you can't get any. I know the, the, the where are they in the league at the moment? Haven't um, they? Are they 16th, 15th, 16th? 16th yeah. You know, the, the moods around the club can't really get any worse than it is. Um, so, I, I just wouldn't be surprised if there was a revision of plan. Uh, the um, you know, I think that Bill Kenwright, um inwardly, you know, if, if if he was making the final call. Now speaking to people, listening to what's being said, I'm surprised that Eddie Howe hasn't been discussed more. You know, I think you know the the fact that he is an Evertonian um, would appeal to him the style of football that he's British, that he's young, all those boxes. You know, play you know managing the Premier League and done well. Um, I would think that you know he would be amongst Cameron's considerations if he if he had the final decision. But ultimately, it's Mashiri's call now. And we're just finding, you know, a lot more out about Mashiri and his, you know, his, 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 I suppose, football acumen or lack of it. Just wanted to ask you, Simon, about this tabloid story over the weekend that Wayne Rooney is deciding the best way to get away from these difficult social situations he finds himself in on probably too regular a basis is to go and build a bar in his own place, in his shed, apparently. Uh, is this? Do you applaud Rooney for... His discretion in this matter? <laughs> well, it's it's a curious 
curious story. Um, you know, it's uh, I suppose it's a reflection of, of the way football is now. I mean, I know I was listening to Jurgen Klopp after the game on on um, on Saturday uh, closely, and it, it was a line that he that didn't really get picked up up on a great deal by by the media. You know, he was asked. I mean. Uh, uh, contrastingly about Mohamed Salah and, and how he'd reacted to what had happened in Egypt. And he said, you know, people don't care about footballers anymore. It doesn't matter what they, you know, who, who, who you know, their emotions, their, their, their feelings, who, you know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We can say what we want about footballers because they paid so much money. It doesn't really matter. And I think, you know, this is just another reflection of, of Rooney, um, you know, kind of, or a footballer, you know, being pulled away from society, you know, uh, ever more. Um but yeah, I mean, I thought you, you know, when I first saw the story, I thought I was going to read that he'd been opening one in Liverpool, which would have been an even more dramatic turn of events. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Simon Hughes, listen, great to catch up. Thanks a million. No problem. He's just a crying big baby. But you cannot call it a player a baby. Coach! And we never said they are baby. He's just a crying big baby. And you cannot call a player a baby. Just on that point that Simon makes, would Everton definitely be Allardyce's biggest club? If I'm a Newcastle fan listening to this, for example, would I, what, could I put Newcastle up as being as big a club in 2017 as Everton are? I suppose Newcastle were down in the championship only last season, so maybe that's not a fair comparison. Um, but but how, big are, how big are Everton? They haven't won anything in the last... In more than two decades, yeah, did it win the league though? Huh. In you know the lifespan of your, you know, average mid thirties football fan, mm. that uh, does have a certain amount of cachet, I would say. Yeah, Every, uh, you mean Everton? Yeah, yeah. You know, they've they've won more, I guess, more league titles than Newcastle. Certainly, more trophies in in the last few decades. <laughs> um, Big club for surely for a manager that just means whoever's paying the most. And ideally, giving an, uh, as the biggest transfer budget. Well, I as opposed to uh, who, who it's twenty odd years since Everton last won. It's whatever sixty years since Newcastle. Let's cut through the nonsense then, Owen. I've yeah. got the figures right here. Um, Everton, uh, two point eight million, uh, two point eight million a year average first team pay. Has Sam? Well, where are Newcastle? You said are Newcastle as big a club? Everton are two point eight million, which is fifty three grand a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's in pounds sterling. Newcastle only one point seven million, thirty two grand a week. So yeah, that would be the old relegations kicking them in the. Um, but what about uh, other clubs that Sam Allardyce managed? What about West Ham? Oh, West Ham are above Everton in this table. West Ham. West Ham fifty six thousand four hundred seventy eight pounds a week is the average first team pay apparently, uh, and Sam managed them. West Ham a- have never won the league. 
Um, They've never won the league. Everton have won the league nine times. Newcastle United have won the league four times. Last time in 1926-27. Yeah. I mean, I, mean, come I on. think Everton are a bigger club than Newcastle. Come on. Yeah. And, and I think the other thing about it is that it, if Sam Allardyce was the manager of Everton, which I, and I agree with Simon, that I think that is the most likely appointment. Uh, and I see, actually, today he's gone to favourites in the bookies. He's, he's displaced Martin O'Neill, although the bookies' odds on ma- next managers is just a notoriously yeah, stay away. swindly market. There's just a load of like utter nonsense that goes on in that market. Um, but if he was to take over at Everton, it would be in the, the four big, the, the titans of Northwest football. You'd have Jose, Pep, Jurgen. And Sam. Now, I think something about that little constellation would appeal to Sam Allardyce. You know what I mean? Mm. You know, he's he's surrounded by three of the biggest celebrity frauds in the game. And, you know, he would be managing the People's Club. And no one would expect him to, to get anything from games against them. But I think he'd fancy himself to, <laughs> to bloody a few noses, rattle a few cages, and ruffle a few feathers. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Uh, like a really abusive owner of harpies. Like <laughs> he's got a harpy farm. He's just absolutely brutalizing. And I think I think that Sam Allardyce would uh, would enjoy that. And you know, out of the the guys who they're who they're talking about, I mean, I'm, it's not as though Sam Allardyce is a, is a kind of progressive appointment for Everton. Like they're gonna, you know, what it's gonna be the, the new school of science. I mean, you know what you're gonna get with Sam Allardyce. But I do think that out of those managers, he is the best. I think that he, I think that he is the most consistent. I think that he's the best um, kind of handler of players. I think that he's the most open to ideas, or at least has been, uh, you know, often throughout his career. Certainly open to uh, using the foreign market, you know, which is a criticism that was made previously of Tony Pulis by by previous owners of Stoke. He doesn't buy players from abroad, which I think you need to do, you know. Um, he did say that he didn't want to be a manager anymore for health reasons. Uh, that was after he finished uh, up with the, his most recent job, which was pa- Palace. Yep. Uh, it's it's. I mean, it's our Sunderland England Palace. That was the order, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, but but I suppose he could be t- he could always be tempted back because you know it's in the, it's in the blood, isn't it? It's a fire in the blood. So. Wouldn't be surprised to see um, Allardyce of Goodison. And that's it for today's Second Captain's Football podcast. If you are wise enough to be a World Service member, we will talk to you tomorrow and throughout the week. We're looking forward to the big Liberty Hall shows coming up very, 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 very soon. A lot of varies in there. Thanks again. I'm very happy to share this broadcasting platform with you. And likewise, you're very, thank you, Owen. very happy to be here. And a very thank you to you. And a you very too, good Ken Monday Hanks. to everybody. Take care. Bye bye. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys.